Hey all, welcome back to the new episode of the Boring Launch Podcast. In this episode, I'll be chatting with my friend Rebecca about her new book, Girl Code, and some of her past experience shipping games and products. I'm your host, Raymond Arifianto. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. With me, I have my friend Rebecca Mullen. Hello. So you've been working on games and you've been working on uh, industry that's adjacent to games, right? So maybe tell us more about how you got here. Um, but yeah, like I've been working in games for nine years. The last couple of years, I've been working for Meta, probably more commonly known as Facebook. And before that, you worked in Improbable and you also work in EA for a while. But also, you just shipped your other personal project, which is uh, your book, yeah. Girl Code, uh, with a one and with a zero and with a three. Tell, maybe tell us about that, like because that's, that's also launching something. Yeah, so I would say launching a book and launching a game are pretty much the same thing, except for the fact that when you're in the game industry and you're launching a game, you know what you're doing. Whereas if you're in the game industry and you decide to launch a new project, It's an entirely unknown environment. So in 2018, I decided I wanted to do something new. This is my 2018 New Year's resolution, and I wanted to write a book. And I'm like, I've been alive for a while. Let's write a book. And I had no idea what to write about. So I just started writing things down every day. And I was looking at my what I was writing down, I guess you could say, a journal or a diary. I hate those words. And I was like, hey, I'm just writing a bunch of advice that I just gave to my mentee or that my mentor gave to me. And I'm like, what would happen if I just compiled all of this advice and wrote a book for women in tech or women in STEM? Over the course of COVID and quarantine in London, we were locked down for about two years. And I kind of took the opportunity and just narrowed in on all of my spare time and all of my weekends where I couldn't go out and do stuff. I was just going to write and rewrite and then delete chapters and stuff. And my original manuscript was about 2,000 or 200,000 words long. And then I learned that a book is usually about 60,000 words. So I had a lot of deleting to do. Yeah. (laughs) That is awesome that you have a passion project and you stick with it and you launch it and you learn from it. Comparing your your previous project, shipping games and shipping the book, is it pretty boring or is it's it's pretty chaotic? I would say it's unknown. So shipping games, because I've been in games for a while, you kind of know what's going to happen. You know there's going to be some exciting moment where it gets chaotic and then you have to make some decisions and then it's just going to chill out. Shipping the book. I knew there was stuff I was forgetting. So I'm technical. Like in games, I do back-end systems development. So I'm always on the back-end. People don't know usually what I do, and I love that. Because I'm like, if you can connect to your friends, if you can connect to a game server, you know I did my job right, which makes zero sense to 99% of the population in the world. Unless you're a game developer, and then you're like, oh, I know what you mean. I know who you are. With the book, the hardest part for me was the visual layout. So writing the words was fine. I'm an introvert. I love writing. And I'm like, oh, words are my thing. But you have to lay out the words on a page. And then you have to add certain like emojis or some sort of a, they call it interior design. 
So I spent a lot of time watching YouTube on that, on how do you do the interior design? What application do you use? I have a very old computer and my computer would not run a lot of the applications that the internet told me to run. So I finally found a very old video and I'm like, oh, thank you. Followed the tutorial, got the inside laid out, and then you have the outside to lay out. And that was probably the trickiest part where I submitted everything to Amazon because I published on Amazon. And yeah, it turns out they rejected my first two uh, layouts. They're like, nope, you fall outside our boundaries and your cover art is not going to work. And I'm just like, but I follow the tutorials. I downloaded your templates. I did everything right. Then they send me feedback and I'm reading it and I'm like, oh, you're right. So I had to go through and do everything again. And if you buy both the book, Girl Code, and the I published two books at the same time, I also have a day planner intended for um, people in tech. And it follows a lot of the principles and a lot of the tricks I talk about in the book. You'll notice some differences. I'm just going to put it like that. I didn't know those differences were there until I got my hard copies of the book. So yeah, I learned a lot. <laughs> you know, as you were sharing your story, the whole process of submission to the publisher and seeing how the whole process is going to be and then rejected twice, for instance, that, that kind of reminded me of the whole certification process with like Xbox and PlayStation and all that. Yes. Oh, it's like one time when I was shipping FIFA, we were, it was, I think it was our first Gen 4 shipping or maybe it was our second one or something. But at the time, we had just redone a bunch of stuff with the build system, upgraded it, made it better. And then we had everything ready to go. We submitted. And then one of the first parties rejected our submission. And we're like, this is the one we tested the most. What happened? So we take the build that they sent us back and it just launched a black screen. And we're like, what? We have tested this. Yeah, it turns out with like all of our upgrades and updates that something with the new CPU chipset that was building the game corrupted the build that we sent. So yeah, we had the uh, lovely opportunity of resubmitting. I don't recommend it. Fun, fun, fun. So I do want to talk more about the, your your book because I think it's a very well written and there's there's a lot of great tips in there and well researched. So I do want to get back to that. But let's talk about your your previous game launches, right? The uh, because you know this is hey this is a podcast for game developers from game developers, and we're hoping that some of the the anecdotal experiences that we had in the past can help somebody else. What's the most memorable game launch or game tech launch or game adjacent tech launch, right? That yeah you've been involved in that's most memorable for you. Yeah, so the one that's probably most memorable for me was the one I learned the most from. And this was a FIFA launch. And your viewers, viewers, hearers, your listeners that are listening to this, um, they may know which one I'm talking about. There was a time when I was in Vancouver, Canada, and we were launching FIFA that day. And it turns out that that same day, there was a truck that was driving by our studio and it ran into a telephone pole. It took out power for the entire grid. And so like just all of a sudden in the morning, like everyone comes to the studio early. We knew what we were doing and power goes down. And we're like, okay, is this IT playing a trick on us? Like, What's going on here? No, power was out. So it turns out that we were still using Cisco phones at the time and we could still call each other on Cisco. 
because that was internet and not power and it was great. So we all got on the same call and then it was kind of like run from one office to the other office in a game of strange telephone tag that was personal. Um, You dial into the conference and then you're in there and they're like, how are we going to launch this game? So one person lived about an hour away from the office and I think about 10 years before they had launched FIFA out of this person's basement. And so everyone was like, hey, let's go to this person's house and, you know, let's plug in and let's just launch it from this person's house. And then the other side of the room was like, but power may come on. The city's pretty good about bringing power back on. The problem was we had no idea when power was going to come back on. At the time, we didn't know what had happened. We just knew that power was out. And that the city of Burnaby, which is where the EA studio in Vancouver was located, just was saying that power is out for this grid and undetermined time when it comes back on. So someone made the call um, to go over to this person's house. They're like, you know what? We're all going to lose about 90 minutes to drive over there, to plug in, to get set up. But we want to make sure that we have this launch good. So people drove over to the house that only needed to drive over there. And usually it was just like, one person per major function and everyone else was in the studio because we still had Cisco phone. We could still communicate. So yeah, we launched an unnamed FIFA from a basement. What did that teach me? You have to be prepared for anything. Like you cannot be prepared for a trucker running into a telephone pole, taking down the power grid for who knows how long it was, but it seemed like forever. Um, You don't know when that's going to come back up. And then even when something comes back up, Because you don't have ownership of it. You don't know how long it's going to take. You can't manage that. So you kind of have to have a plan A, B, and C, and then an entirely different plan if A, B, and C fail. It is definitely the Murphy's Law of the game launches because there will always be something that goes wrong. Oh, yes. Also, the thing that actually popped in my head when you were sharing that story is that now in the times of COVID where everyone actually works from home, I wonder like how many games, how many games have shipped from someone's house (laughs) because everyone works remotely anyway, right? I mean, like, so probably someone actually like, I'm going to trigger like, you know, a Jenkins build uh, from my... (laughs) From my house. <laughs> I mean, it's a good question. Like, um, you know, I work for Meta now. And I'm sure that most everybody on here remembers last October, whenever all of the every single Meta entity went down for about 12 hours. And we were still all working from home at that time. And like, even for us working remotely, like stuff would just fall down. And we're just like, so we had to resort to non-Meta tech to communicate, which was fascinating because, you know, you work for Meta and you use Facebook or Instagram or WhatsApp or something like that to communicate and just message your colleagues. And we're like, we're not connected anywhere else. Where should we go and talk and figure out what should we do? So yeah, it was just kind of like one of those worst case scenarios where how do you communicate? How do you get this thing back online? When everyone's remote, everyone used to talk during the same chat methods and, you know, video con methods, and we can't talk anymore. Now, you know, you, you from your from a couple of your stories, right, like both from shipping FIFA and from in Meta, it's very clear that communication is is very key because when you're shipping something, it's always a group of people that have to ship it. There has have you ever had experience where you're about to launch something, either a, a patch or a big thing, and then communication actually becomes an issue because people are people, right? And people are uh, 
emotional and people are stressed out and all that because ultimately like shipping games or shipping a project tends to bring sometimes the worst of people because of the stress, because of the pressure. Have you ever had to deal with something like that? The answer is yes. I'm just going to generalize a couple of different things. One of the things when people are in stress, they go to a default mechanism whenever they're stressed out. And I like to really relate it back to whenever you're a parent and you see your kid wanting to touch the stove or wanting to see how sharp that knife is, like you go to this default mechanism of no, stop, you're going to hurt yourself, you're going to burn yourself, you probably yell at the child, not intentionally because you want to yell at them, but because you're trying to save them from disaster. And one thing I notice in these high stress situations that we have, at sh like shipping time and that sort of stuff is you have people on these default vectors of if they know innately that something is going to break or something is going to fail, they're not going to be able to come up with the words or the phrases or the the nice, you know, the nice caring, the nice empathy of, hey, maybe you shouldn't ship that new configuration because it's going to take down everyone else other than in the region that we're in right now. They're just going to say some very harsh and abrasive words. I guess kind of going back to my book a little bit, um, in chapter one, which I recommend everybody read, like chapter one is great, um, whether you're female or male or a mix of them both, like it's just an awesome chapter. Um, I talk about people's styles at work. So I broke it down into like, you have the people who work at you and the people who work with you. And sure, like you may work at someone and just be like, no, don't touch that stove. You're going to burn your hands. Okay, that's pretty direct. You're telling me to do something. You're working at me. Whereas, you know, a with person would be like, hey, maybe we shouldn't touch that stove. Let's go put our hands under hot water and see what happens. And then, you know, you coach someone along and you're like, hey, this hot water is not going to cook this pan of eggs. But if we boil it up, here's what happens. And then you lead them along the path and you show them what to do. In high stress situations, you don't really have that luxury of having that more gentle, compassionate with type personality. You have more of the act. So in a lot of ways, like whenever you're shipping something in high stress, you're just like, yep, everyone's going to be in this very direct act. I'm doing air quotes right now. You guys can't see that. But very direct act personality. And what people say is not necessarily abrasive. It's just they know something you probably don't. So let's listen. Let's figure out what to do. Let's zoom out. Let's see the big picture and let's solve the best thing for our gamers at hand. Yeah, I love it. I was actually thinking about that chapter in the book when, when, where you talk about how do you work with an ad? How do you work with an with if you are a with or an ad? So I think definitely I would encourage like the listeners to to check it out because I think it's it's got really good suggestions. But also another thing about the book is that at the end of the day you're working with people. Whether you are you know if this is your board of directors or this is your your influencer or uh, your lead or your employees and all that. Absolutely, yeah. or even like if it's your intern. Like, what do you do, you know, with that? And how do you just flex your working style with where you're at? And how do you be aware of what you're projecting and how everyone else is receiving what you're projecting? And to pick something from your book, you mentioned that everyone has biases. And learning about other people that you work with, their biases will help you in the long run to better work with them so you can 
do your best and you can bring the best out of everyone else and ultimately ship a, a better product. Any suggestions on how you kind of learn and how you track other people that you work with, like their biases? Yeah, that's a great question. Thing is, we're always going to have unconscious bias, no matter where we're at. And when you're working with people, you need to be aware of what their biases are. And this is just going to give you another lever in working with them and helping them move forward to whatever destination you're at. So in my book, I talk about when I was a pole dancer. So I'm the 2016 Canadian pole fitness champion. And I talk about how I became the pole fitness champion. Like I am the underdog. I'm not the typical person that you would expect to be pole dancing. I'm short and curvy, not that flexible, but I really wanted to win. Like I wanted to become a a professional athlete. So I figured that my advantage against everyone else was that I was aware of unconscious bias. I had been to a lot of unconscious bias trainings, thanks to work. And I'm like, okay, let's see if I can apply this unconscious bias training and go study my judges. So I had no idea who my judges were going to be. But in Canada, there was only about 10 people that I kind of had an idea who could be my judges. So I started to study these people. And at the time, it was really easy because data privacy was a little bit less than it is now. So I started to uh, stalk them online. You know, what posts were they immediately liking? Um, Who were they commenting? What were they saying? What clothes brands were they saying? Ooh, I like that. Or like what makeup tutorials were they watching and suggesting to people? So I basically documented 10 different people and what these 10 different people did. And it kind of sounds stalkery, but if you think about it, like in science, that's what you do if you're observing something. You document stuff, you write it down, you see where the similarities are and you see where the synergies are. And then you're like, okay, I know there's something here that matches all of these things. Let's go try this. And that's exactly you know what I did. And I would like to say one of the reasons on why I won. Um, but like at work, that's exactly what we have to do. And you can't do it during shipping time because at shipping time, everyone is at their stress end. They're probably tired because they've just come out of crunch and it's just not the best time, but they still have those same biases. So observing these people that you work with throughout or that you know you're going to work with during shipping throughout their just normal life, um, you are able to gather a plethora of information. Maybe someone does not like Tuesday for whatever reason. I have no idea why, but they just come into work every day grumpy on Tuesday. Write that down and just be like, I'm going to use a fake name. Sam hates Tuesday. And just, you know, write that down in your notebook. Don't share it with anybody else. But then you're tracking this stuff. And then over time, you start to have a list of things, you know, or maybe Mary loves Chipotle. And you're like, okay, Sam hates Tuesday. Mary loves Chipotle. And then you gather this playbook of information on things people dislike, things people like. And then you're able to compile this playbook of dissolving stressful situations. Maybe you want to ship a game on not a Tuesday because Sam is critical and bring Chipotle because Mary's also critical to the game launch. So with that, like, why don't you tell us is like what the book is about? Yeah. So the book is broken down into 10 chapters. 
Each chapter contains some information about handling 10 different situations that people run into at work. I've written the book from a female perspective because I figure if I'm going to write a book, I should write a book with something that I have expertise in. And I feel like that I am female. I've worked in tech for a couple of decades. I have expertise in that. So this is the angle I'm going to take. Um, that said, it's a really good book to read if you want to become a better ally to women in tech. Some of the feedback I've gotten about the book is they people didn't know this is how women in tech work um, or this is how certain things come across. The book is not really my experiences because I figured that would be silly just to write a book about me. So I take 40 other, more than 40, I think it's like 43, other women in tech and I tell their stories. Probably my favorite story is about Clara von Neumann. Spoiler, it's at the very end of the book. She was an immigrant who came from Austria during World War II to the U.S. Um, she and her husband moved over. Her husband was a mathematics professor, and he got shipped over to work on the Manhattan Project, which eventually launched the atomic bomb, which ended World War II. After that, though, they had all of these smart, they, the United States, had all of these smart scientists, and they were like, what do we do next? They also had a lot of computing and they're like, hey, we could maybe try to build a weather prediction computer. So they shipped everyone over to build this weather prediction computer. Well, while Clara's husband was stuck in this lab and she couldn't see him half the time because it was radioactive, she taught herself mathematics. She taught herself computer programming. And so she ended up becoming this lead developer to lead computer science for the first weather prediction computer. And the thing I love about this story is that many people don't know she exists. She doesn't have a university degree. She taught herself. She's an immigrant. She taught and trained so many other people on how to build this computer. She discovered how to store computer code into memory. And yet, She's not recognized. Um, back in the 90s, six of her female colleagues who were accredited by U.S. universities were accredited for their work on this, and she was just left out. I don't know why, but, you know, you can read in between the lines why. But, you know, one of the, th the things that I want to drive through in this book is that you may take a different path. You may discover how to predict weather, like which is something we all use today. I use it today because I just got my hair done and I didn't want it to get wet on my way home. And I was like, what kind of clothes do I need to wear to the hair salon? And that's all thanks to Clara. But, you know, a lot of us don't know that. And a lot of us don't know her name. And it's just like, at the end of the day, you need to do you. You need to be 100% authentic you. Show up as 100% you. And you're going to be able to deliver the best quality of work that you have inside you. As an immigrant and as a minority, your book really resonates with me. So thank you for writing it. And I, I definitely want to make sure that like all the, all you guys who listen to this podcast to definitely check out her book. Uh, I'll put a link on the description. So Rebecca, thank you so much for stopping by to the podcast. And I, I hope that you can come in again and talk about your, your other experiences and, and maybe how the evolution of uh, this uh, passion project of yours. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. This has been fun. Hey, thanks for listening in. I hope you enjoyed the show. 
So as promised, I'll be posting in the link to Rebecca's book if you want to check it out. Uh, I'll be posting it in my website, boringlaunch.gg. It's also where you can find all the previous episodes of the show. Hope I get to see you in the next episode. Bye.